There's no business like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. There's no peace. Hello, and welcome once again to Stages with Peter Eyes, the podcast that talks to creatives about their career process and what matters to them. Today my guest is musical theatre leading man Alex Rathgaber. Equipped with a soaring voice, matinee idle looks and bundles of charm, a career on the stage seems to have been destined for Alex Rathgaber. Growing up in rural Victoria, a series of roles in community theatre and school production led him to study at the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts and on to a succession of roles that have enthralled audiences. Deft character studies have engaged Rathgaber in productions of The Drowsy Chaperone, An Office from a Gentleman, Fiddle on the Roof, The Rocky Horror Show and Next to Normal. His performance as Billy Crocker in Anything Goes earned him a Helpman Award and he describes the challenge of working within the Tin Man for The Wizard of Oz. Along the way, he played Raoul in the 21st anniversary cast of The Phantom of the Opera in The West End. Passionate, intelligent and insightful, he proved to be the perfect guest in this episode, reflecting on a young career that has achieved much but can never be taken for granted. Where could you get money that you don't give back? Let's go on with our show. Uh, did you enjoy playing the Tin Man? I loved it. Actually, I was really surprised by how much I loved it. I, I think it's just that story of going on this journey with three mates. You know? yeah, yeah. And we became such good mates. And a story that, that we all grew up with. I'm seeing it every year at Christmas time on the TV. And yeah. Sort well, of... I didn't, actually. Didn't you? you? And I think that's maybe why it surprised me, because it wasn't one that I grew up having a strong attachment to. I grew up with Mary Poppins and Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and... Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, no, no, not even no, that one. Really? No, that was uh, See, The Sound of Music. Right. Were my, they were my three, right. um, as far as musicals go. Um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is another one that I'm not... I, I didn't ever really watch so when right. I went to watch that I didn't have that you know that association with it but um, but of course you know Wizard of Oz it's pretty hard to escape it in terms of a million pop cultural references um, I'm curious though what about the costume I mean I only ask because I did yeah. Wizard of Oz in uh, 2000-ish with Nicky Webster Ah, and right. covered Doug Parkinson as a lion. Yeah, yeah. And that is the hottest I have ever been in a costume. Yes, and I was exactly the same. I lost a lot of weight. I thought I was physically <laughs> melting. Yeah. yeah, and I used to live on, what's that? Um, Gatorade or Hydrolite. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I only kind of discovered that a little bit of the way into it, that I that really worked. Um, and uh, before that, yeah, I was kind of struggling to just stay hydrated and um we'd get to the end of um follow the yellow brick road and we'd be standing on that center set piece and we'd all be facing upstage thankfully but i was just a wet mess dripping 
Um, and also trying to get my breath of like just lifting that costume around was it was actually quite heavy even though it was as light as it could possibly be it was still quite heavy because if it's not a certain weight then it just looks like aluminium foil you know (laughs) Um, so it had especially the the legs um, were clipped onto this belt that hung from my waist and they were really heavy to swing around so yeah it's quite an art, isn't it, as a performer mm. to, to look completely at ease when you're singing and dancing flat out and wearing a costume which yeah. can it's, impinge on you. Smiling your... and full of love yeah. <laughs> for tits, each other. Tits and teeth. Tits yeah, and yeah, teeth. yeah. Um, you're a Scorpio, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Are you into astrology much? Oh, not, you... not officially, no. I mean, I know that I'm a Scorpio. I know that there are certain um, traits that Scorpios are meant to have. Like, uh, like you know what you want and you're not yes, afraid to work hard yes. and play the long game to get there. Yes, and maybe a bit of jealousy, I've, I can admit to that. Yes, never <laughs> never, never show their cards. and their, yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, their enigmatic nature is what makes them so seductive and beguiling. Ooh. Yes. Ooh. I read that and I, I like thought that. that that very much applies to... Okay, I'll run with that. ...to uh, <laughs> Alex Rathgabe. <laughs> what are you anticipating about this conversation? Oh. Uh, Everything. I'm so excited. I've been so looking forward to it. Seriously. We, we've, we've had it planned for a while, haven't we? Yeah. Um, it's just getting together, which has been good. And in the meantime, I've listened to, you know, Umpteen does, uh, other ones that you've recorded. Yeah. Thank with, you. Um, Thank you. Well, it's a treat to be talking to you the today. who's who. <laughs> and, you, and you're one of them. Oh. Um, Alexander Wilson Rathgaber. Is Wilson a family name? Mm, it's yeah. my mum's ancestors who were original settlers in the Western District, the Wimmera kind of area. And there's a street in Horsham called Wilson Street that, funnily enough, I'm kind of named after, even though mum's um, sort of cl- closer, more closer in time um, family were all based in Gippsland on the other side of Victoria. Her ancestors from many generations back were based in the Wimmera. What's well, right, a right. population of Horsham? It's a, it's quite a about twenty thousand now. Big country. Well, 20, it's a small 20, one. 20, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. There are towns around Horsham like Stall and Ararat, um, and oh, Nadimak and um, other smaller towns that seem to have not grown in the way that Horsham has. It. I think people have even moved from those towns to Horsham. It's just a, a bit more of a thriving centre um, for. I'm not sure exactly what reason. Um, yeah. What was it like growing up in a, a country town? Amazing. There's a, degree, a great degree of freedom, isn't there? You can yeah. sort of ride your bikes up in the bush and yeah. kick the footy on the road. Oh, and, and you just... <laughs> I don't think it really occurs to you until later in life how privileged it is to not have all those city things to try to keep up with. And the, the intensity of life in the city of, of um, there's a bit more keeping up with the Joneses in the city, I, f- I feel like. Yeah. And um, in the country, yeah, you've got space, you've got just a bit more of a, um, a time table that isn't so intense. I was sliding down a mountain. I was burning in the sun I was crying with amazement at the view 
I was capturing a moment But when all is said and done Well, it all fades away But you And there's a friendliness and a, a genuine respect to people and all that sort of stuff that um, I went there a couple of weeks ago and I just was like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> so good to just go back and be reminded and to see familiar faces. And, yeah. and what access to culture did you have growing up? Was it just the local cinema or um, local yeah. community theatre groups? The Horsham Centre Cinemas. Yeah. That was a big highlight to go there and um, have that experience. It was sort of a treat. Um, we had the local high school doing a, you know, a musical and the first show that I saw was Godspell, Horsham High School. And that was it. I was like... You're hooked? I was hooked. Yeah. I went home and we had the vinyl. <laughs> I think everyone had Godspell. Yeah. And I put it on in the formal room and, uh, and just that, that was it. I, yeah, I was obsessed from then onwards. Um... We had, we had little concerts, you know, little sort of, um, sort of soiree things and the Estedford. Um, we had the Arts Council, which I later became involved in. Um, but I'm sort of thinking early days, what I saw. Um, it was probably, you know, my brother and sister started performing before I did. Um, and so I'd go and watch their little recitals and that sort of thing. Did professional companies tour to town? Did you have a sort of a theatre or a, a space where... They certainly do now, um, but back then not so much. It wasn't such a thing then. Um, the, the facilities were a bit limited and probably weren't a- appealing enough to, to get too many um, acts from yeah. outside of town. But maybe... Also, I just didn't see that many things. I mean, I you know, if it, we were probably going to enough and involved in enough things with, with what we were doing and with um, all sporting commitments and all those other sorts of things that maybe it just wasn't. What was the first show yeah. that you saw? The first professional the show? The first big show, yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Which at the Prinny with oh, Hugh Jackman oh, and uh, Robin Arthur and yeah. Michael yeah. Cormick. And, <laughs> I know yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing. Um, and again, I mean, Godspell in Horsham was was you know knocked my socks off, and then and then that was just a whole other level, obviously, and just the costumes and we had. I remember we had amazing seats, and so we're right there in the center of the stalls at the Prinny. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> And did you ever think for a minute that you know that some of those people up on the stage you would go on to work with and be friends with? Yeah, I know it's yeah. it's it's amazing. No, not in my wildest dreams. Yeah. So so what were mum and dad doing in Horsham? Dad had a real estate agency that he right. took over from my granddad, yep. which had started in Stall, the town, forty minutes away. And mum was a primary school teacher, and then she had us kids and. Um, did a bit of relief teaching through that time and then she also had been doing dad's books for the business for years and then slowly became more and more involved in the business and then got her real estate agent's license and started um she took on another addition to the business which was selling house and land packages for av jennings right. so the business grew and grew and yeah mum was kind of working there full time and with dad which i always find 
kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah, they were a pretty good team. So growing up um, through your teenage years, did you think that you would eventually go into real estate perhaps? Was was performance Never. on your horizon? Uh, I'm, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do professionally. I I just knew I loved performing and that it was a huge part of my extracurricular activity and my what I do in my time at home when I didn't have anything, you know, any homework to do or whatever, piano practice. I loved sport just as much, you know, as part of the, um, the swimming club and the tennis club and table tennis and um, I played indoor basketball and I eventually went to AFL and gave that a crack because I was going away to boarding school and there was, you know, it's a big AFL school so yep. I was like, oh well, I better get into AFL <laughs> and I was bloody terrible at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, sport was a huge, and I was part of little athletics and I was a strong runner and I did lots of cross country and that sort of stuff. So sport was pretty huge. When did you start to sing? Because um, was it the choir, St. Michael's Choir, St. John's Primary School? Yeah, St. Michael's and St. John's yeah. Catholic Primary School. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, I would have been, uh, I don't know what grade exactly I started in choir, but I, I was pretty young when I started being the lead soprano and I'd sing the solos in church. And we had a beautiful church. It's still there. We visited it the other week. And I, I'd sing at funerals and weddings and that sort of thing, I'd do the, the solo. And and then my brother and sister were doing The King and I for the Horsham High School production. And they needed the little princesses and princes. Oh, yes, yes. For March of the, the King Simon's of Science. Children. Yeah. yeah. Such an amazing scene. Yeah. Um, yes, because yeah. it's just one cuteness after the next. Yeah. Yeah. So my hand shot up and yeah. I was there. And I remember my sister was not so sure about being in a show with her two little brothers. <laughs> um, Nick was playing Prince Chulalungkorn. Um, and he was a great singer. They both were. Um, Livia then did uh, Into the Woods. And she played the baker's wife. and I, I kind of idolised them, you know. They were they were both playing these lead roles, and and I think I just wanted to kind of do what they were doing, and and then I, yeah. Well, not everyone gets to be a Frederick in the sound of music. Ah, no, that was great. You know, I hated. There was one thing about playing Frederick that um, I had to say, I'm Frederick. I'm 14 years old, and I'm a boy. I just used to find that so insulting or uncomfortable because yeah. I was like isn't it obvious <laughs> you know and when you when you're young and you know pubescent or probably pre-pubescent and I was I was you know feeling a bit insecure about who I am and <laughs> and I just used to find that so strange that I was part of the script and listen to the music of the night close your eyes and surrender to your darkest dreams purge your thoughts of the life you knew before close your eyes let your spirit start to soar and you live as you've never Did your voice break on time? Mm. That was the other thing about that production. My voice was literally starting to break in, I think we did two weeks of performances or two sort of weekends following one another. And my voice, no joke, started to break 
as we're kind of approaching that second weekend and I had to sing um what is it um so long it's time to go to bed and say yeah. um goodbye and hit this beautiful floaty soprano note uh and I'd literally just like cross everything hoping that it would come out and that and I'd turn up stage and the adults in the cast would all sort of be doing these little thumbs up to me. You got it. You got it. Because they were totally aware of what was going on. <laughs> and then I think within weeks, my voice had I'd turned into a baritone. Wow. And it happened really quickly. Some people, you know, struggle for years for their voice to settle. But mine just went boom. <laughs> yeah. Were you having singing lessons at the time or anything mm. like that? You were? So yeah. it's, it's confronting, isn't it? When your voice changes, you suddenly mm. think, what do I do with this new instrument? You know, it's just... I, I don't remember feeling confronted by it, to be honest. I think because it happened so quickly, I didn't have to negotiate that transition um, to, yeah, with too much difficulty. It just happened and, and then I kept on using my voice. I had an amazing teacher, um, who, uh, Anne Dixon, who I had private lessons with for a few years. Um, she taught my sister and brother before me. And... Um, yeah, so I think she knew what, knew what was happening and how to handle it and how to kind of guide me through it. So I don't remember really thinking too much of it. Yeah. Yeah. So boarding school, how was that? Was it something you it enjoyed? Was, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Nick had been there for the two years before me. and so this is your brother? My brother. Yeah. And left the year before I started. And I think he kind of just, you know, paved the way for me a lot. And the boarding house is a pretty special community at Xavier, where where we went. There's, you know, you've, you sort of feel like you're in this accommodation on campus with guys that you feel like you're brothers with. You know, it's, yep. it's pretty special and we're really well looked after. And a nice uniform. A great uniform. Yeah. 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 I, I used to, I remember looking forward to wearing that uniform because it was so different. I, I grew up, you know, primary school was green and, and, and then I think we got called the snot kids or whatever <laughs> and then Horsham College in where I went for three years seven eight nine um was blue and yellow and then that was red and black and you know it's just looking forward to the red and black is Xavier where Tim Conagrave went mm, yeah, yeah holding yeah. the man yeah yeah so when I got to Whopper yeah straight after year 12 there was a guy in my class Stephen Burrows who was about eight or nine years older than me and within a couple of weeks he was like you've got to read this book <laughs> you could probably see you know here's a young guy out of out of Xavier who I've got a feeling about um, and might uh, appreciate this book yeah and I did I remember I sobbed all the way through it it's an extraordinary book isn't it mm. yeah 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 unbelievable and just to sort of be at drama school you know, I remember lying on my bed reading it, you know, and then all those memories that were immediate flooding back. And um, Mind you, to, to, Tommy Murphy um, constructed a, a great play and then the, the film of Holding mm. the Man. But um, going back to that original original book is, mm. um, is such a moving experience and everyone should read. Yeah, I haven't seen the play. Um, I've seen the film and I love the film, um, but I would love to see the play. Mm. Um, yeah, because I believe it was incredible. Maybe I hang around here a little more than I should. We both know I got somewhere else to go. But I got something to tell you that I never thought I would. 
I wasn't allowed to. Mum and Dad wouldn't let me for the first year. Oh. I was there for 10, 11, 12. And Just to be settled in and yeah, I want you to be distracted that's from it. academic was, studies. Yep, and make sure I was up to scratch in year 10. And um, I remember I got to the end of year 10 and I, I topped the class in maths for the whole 220 boys. <laughs> wow, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, which was my absolute peak with maths. I went downhill from there. Right. Um, uh, and so that kind of was my pass to then be permitted to do the musicals in year 11 and 12 and I um, but I used to from the boarding house which was just below the, the music hall I could hear them rehearsing um, when I was in year 10 and so I'd go up and watch and my singing teacher um, Andy McCallman who I know you know very yeah, well yeah. Um, uh, was the director of the, the musical so he was up there and I'd go up and just watch them rehearse and yeah so he was aware that I was keen to get in the next year. So what roles did you do at school? Um, year 11 I played Isle, um, what's his name? Strephon in Iolanthe. Because right. I'm not sure, I'm, I'm guessing they still do it, but it was a Gilbert and Sullivan every two years, every second year. Wow, isn't it? I mean, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. How extraordinary. It may is. not still be that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, it sounds kind of old-fashioned even um, to say it. Th- these days big oh, truck big truck yes, um, right. yes. <laughs> let's acknowledge that yeah. Although, did you see HMS Pinafore at the Hayes recently Kate Gould's production no I oh, haven't got, seen it's it it's extraordinary no. you, know, yeah. you, you think that I think it might have finished yeah it has finished it, yeah. Yeah. certainly by the time this goes to air yeah <laughs> <laughs> although they're going on a, a, a tour which is oh, fantastic but, yeah. but just to see what you can still do with GNS yeah in 2020 yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah there's endless possibilities I'm sure mm. and ways of making it relevant but Ilanth is great fun Good. Yeah, it was it was a you lot. You were half fun. hair, was half great. fairy, half man, Stefan. Is yeah. I know. So many of these things would have just gone straight over my head at the time. You know, I, I sort of wish I could have the time over again with a little bit of you know adult um, you know hindsight to carry into it. Uh, so you're oblivious to your sexuality at, the, at this time? No, not oblivious. Certainly right. not. Right. Um, uh, but I, I certainly didn't do anything about it. Yeah. yeah. Until I got to Whopper and felt the freedom um it's pretty pretty difficult to to think about negotiating that when you're at an all boys catholic school and i was the vice captain of the school in year 12 and you know it's i was there was a lot of um expectation placed on you know studies and and achievement yeah sort of there, there's certainly so, something about music theater uh, studying a music theater course which gives you a key to unlock yeah i got to whopper and I just felt this amazing sense of permission to just be not myself, to be whoever I wanted to be, yeah. you know. And I'm in this class with 17 other people who are from all different parts of Australia first, but all different backgrounds and cultural upbringings. And and as I said, like people who are, you know, close to 10 years my senior, um, because I was the youngest guy in my course, there were, th- there were four of us who were straight out of school. Um, who were, you know, 17 or 18. So where did you hear about Whopper? Uh, Andy McCallman. All right. Okay, great. Yeah. He said there's a couple of, there's only a couple of boys from Xavier that have been there. 
Um, so it was Simon Gleeson, I guess? Yeah. yeah. So he gave me Simon's number to call and phoned up Simon. Um, and we ended up meeting up for coffee. And then he offered to come and help me prepare for my audition and came to the boarding house where he'd been because he was a Wagga boy. Um, and I think he'd had the, the room next to mine or two doors down from mine in year 12. And so he was sort of happily coming after many years away from Xavier come and check it out and reminisce and and we went up to the music hall and I remember he he gave me um he gave me something from elegies a, a couple of things from elegies for angels punction and, and raging queens, queens yeah and left me with the sheet music f- for those and he also gave me sheet music for um oh, um oh god it's just gone I can see the sheet music um which is probably got Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. Oh, yeah, great. great, great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I've never sung anywhere, and I don't, really, I don't know whether he has either, but, you know... There were... it was a, they did it as a production when I was there. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Was he there when you were there? Uh, he no. was in first year when I was... But it felt very much like I was being handed this, you know, precious sheet music that was from this sacred place called Whopper, you know, like on the other side of the country. But he and... got in song repertoire. Yeah, that, it, you know, that, you know, this... This is sort of straight from New York, or whatever. You know, it's like it was a it was special. Um, and he helped me choose monologues for my audition and that sort of stuff. And so, what did you do for your audition? I did a monologue from Pygmalion as Freddie or Henry. <clears throat> it was from Pygmalion. It might have been Eliza. <laughs> yeah, who for knows? You know, yeah, yeah. I cannot remember. God, it's a long time ago now. Um, Nineteen years ago, um, and. Uh, I did Tonight from My Side Story and I did Giants in the Sky from Into the Woods. So you got in your first audition? Yeah, but I, f- I flew over. Mum and Dad had no idea what it was, what they were looking into and, you know, potentially sending their son to the other side of the country to do. So they said, why don't we go over to Perth in your September holidays? So we did that. We took a trip over and had a guided tour around the campus. And I remember you know, poking my head in on Jenny Lynn's dance class with the second or third years and and um, met with Dennis Follington and that sort of thing. And, and I just was like, this place is unbelievable. And it's Kelly pretty... Road was there at the time as wow. well. And Andy had been friends with her and from Ballarat, I think. And, um, and so Kel offered to come out and have a chat to me and she just bounced out of some class and, and you know, ball of energy and I just fed off that and went this is what it does to people <laughs> maybe that was just Kel as well but um but yeah that's an extraordinary place I remember going over funny. thinking this mic is a road is a road huh yes oh Kelly Road <laughs> Kelly we're talking road. about Kelly Road yeah. there you go a road road NT microphone how so they're very good um yeah traveling over I went over by train and I thought my god what if this is a big tin shed in the middle of the desert well I think that's what my parents thought they yeah. just had no idea what it was going to be and and me too but Mm. obviously I was I just fed off what Simon had said and Andy had been saying you know people audition four or five times until they get in which is I believe what Kel did and she she said you might have to you know be prepared to go off and do other things and and I was you know I was like great sign me up I'll I'll go off and do whatever and come back and audition again next year and I was just lucky I didn't have to got in that first time so yeah because there's more to more to talent, isn't there? I mean, I think you know the staff when they take students on, it's about that emotional maturity and that you know you're going over mm. 
possibly to the other side of the country mm. can you look after yourself mm. can you remember to eat can you wash your clothes can you yeah well I, I think the fact that I had a certain level of independence from you'd been to boarding school yeah I'd yeah. been away from my family you know in the city you know three and a half hours away for, for three years um, although it was a it was a there was a security and a, a lot provided for us at boarding school it was just that emotional um, maturity possibly that I dealt with some of that and you um, top your 10 maths so that's right yeah, yeah. That so of course we'll admit it <laughs> Perth is a great place to study though isn't it for three years just oh, to get away yeah. from the eye yeah. of yeah the west coast produ- uh, east coast producers and agents yeah, and I think so and I, I always say that I didn't really live in Perth though I, I just lived at Whopper. you right. know we lived I, I did a triangle around um, the campus in Mount Lawley I, I was in North Perth, Highgate, and Inglewood, and you know, in the in the three years, I could probably count on one, maybe two hands, the number of times I went to the beach. Uh, <laughs> it seems really? crazy to live in Perth. Best beaches in the country. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe it's a slight exaggeration, but that's certainly how it feels. I right. I couldn't tell you the name or, or names or orders of the beaches, you know. But when you've lived somewhere for three years that has some of the best countries and beaches in the world, you know. It seems odd to not be able to say that. So yeah, I was, I was pretty focused. <laughs> um, and doing some great repertoire. Uh, you know, Whopper always. You know, that music theatre course. I, I guess you know we've got the Hayes Theatre Company now, who are exploring all sorts of musical theatre mm. repertoire that doesn't mm. have to be done in the commercial world. But mm. um, yeah, I remember seeing you in Wild Party. Oh now, wow! It's probably a show yeah. that we would never see commercially. No, well, apparently the rights have been limited or reneged or something there's right. a because of the poem that it's based on oh okay because um, there were two versions of wild party at the same time yeah, I think, yeah yeah so we did the lipper yeah um i actually loved the lacusa just as much mm. um but of course now having done the lipper one i probably love it a bit more and i got to play black which was a really cool role and probably would never get cast in that <laughs> in, you know in the professional scene i can almost guarantee um, what else did you do? So, uh, that was our final production at the end of third year. Yeah. Um, before that, we did Fiddle on the Roof. Um, and before that, we did a show called Perfectly Frank, which Nancy Hayes directed. Right. It was the music of Frank, Frank Lesser. Lesser. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in second year before that, we did Pacific Overtures that John Milson directed. And uh, what was the other one? Um, there you go. Where else would you get to do Pacific Overtures? Well, again, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we, you know, we did not strong white face, but we certainly used white makeup. The Kabuki makeup, makeup yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, uh, we did, the other one was the Pajama Game, which was, we were in the ensemble for the third years. Yeah. Love the Pajama Game. Yeah, so it was a, it was a whole mix. You did Fiddler professionally, didn't you? Mm. Yeah. yeah, it was my first big sort of touring musical. I'd done two production company shows before that. If ever I would leave you It wouldn't be in summer Seeing you in summer I never would go Your hair streaked with sunlight Your lips red as flame your face with a luster that puts gold to shame. But if I'd ever leave you, 
couldn't be in autumn How I'd leave in autumn I never will know I've seen how you sparkle When fall nips the air I know you in autumn And I must be Could I leave you running merrily through the snow? Or on a wintry evening when you catch the fire's glow? If what was it like working with someone like Topol, who mm. had played Tibia for many, many years and on film? And well, it was, it was, I mean, it was all new to me. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, I... Did I you know who Topol was? Well, not really. No, until I watched the film before yeah. rehearsals, sort of thing. Um, I didn't. I hadn't watched the film before that. Um, I wasn't aware of you know him being a big international sensation um, from that film and other things. I I'd worked as I said. I did those production company shows, and and Marina Pryor was our lead in both of those, um, and that was sort of my first taste of what it feels like to be a part of a show where you, there's a, a big star and you know um and there's this luster and specialness around them um it was a whole other thing with Topol um because also that piece is so full of um you know cultural heritage and and um there's a sacredness to that material and and there was a really strong sense of ownership over it from him and almost like you know he was the star slash part director, part producer, part, and maybe he was, um, <laughs> maybe he did have money in it. But yeah, he had a, a pretty strong stronghold on, on how it all played out. And we had Sa uh, Sammy Dallas Bays, who was the um, American director that came out to work with us. And um, But having said all that, I was so busy focusing on trying to do those Cossack moves. That right. was my greatest concern. I, I think the, the rest bottle, is all... The bottle dance? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't do the bottle dance, right. um, but I did the um, all that intense, you know, f flipping over your feet kind of... Um, Are you a natural dancer? Like. Well, I, I'd never danced before Whopper, right. um, and I loved it. I just... That was one of the things that I loved the most about Whopper. Um, and I started in level 111 for, you know, tap jazz ballet yeah, yeah. and I came out 333 and I you know I really did love it and I looked at Lisa Sontag and others in my class Patrice Topoki and Verity Hunt Ballard and Vivian Carter and people like that that were amazing dancers in my year um, and especially Lisa because we'd auditioned side by side um, with the numbers on the front 17 and 18 you know, they put pin those like netball yeah. bib sort of numbers very, very on very chorus line. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And um, we had to go across the floor together because Rathgaber and Sontag alphabetically, and uh, and she was doing the big, huge, big grand jetés, and I had a, you know three left feet, so that when we got into the same class, I was like, right, that's what I've I've got to watch her. She'd done the Boy from Oz and you know other things professionally, and and she just had this amazing strength and poise about her that I just loved. Um, so yeah, I I tried to copy 
all the things I saw around me. Um, and then when I came out of Whopper, I just hit the ground running, went to um, Andy Hallsworth's classes and Dana Jolly's classes and Robert Stark's classes and just religiously went to their classes for years. Um, packed as many as I could in every week. <laughs> You're going to increase your chances of employment, aren't you, if you sort yeah. of are adept yeah. at sort of those, those three skills mm. of, of dance. And I just knew that I had a lot of catching up to do, you know, to, to sort of um, to get into those ensembles of those shows. You, you do have to be able to move and, and move really well. Um, you were looking yeah. at ensembles. Did you, did you have your eyes set on being a leading man too? Mm, always. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to, don't you? Yeah. And, now, you know, I think, I think I did because I'd had that experience of playing leads in our, you know, local and high school productions and that sort of thing. So I, I was delighted to be able to play little featured roles for the production company and then um, understudy, understudy Sean Rennie and Fiddler and right. um, uh, Fiedka. Um, never got to go on. He was, he was too too well behaved, or <laughs> maybe not well behaved is not the right word, but <laughs> um, disciplined. disciplined. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was the first big role you did? First big role was um, Lancelot in Camelot. Great. Yeah. Um, and that was a huge challenge. You know, I probably probably wasn't ready for it at the time really i was um, vocally or no i think maturity, maturity. Yeah. yeah um i think you know i was playing alongside um scott Irwin and katrina italic and and i do remember feeling a little um out of my depth and a little insecure about what i was stepping into and we had george ogilvy directing us you know this incredible director of, yeah feature films and so forth and um yeah i i, I was aware of um wow this is a lot <laughs> but still you wouldn't have been given that opportunity if they didn't think that you could you could do it no that's right and and I, and it is what it is and i and i did it and we also didn't have the most rave reviews and and although i tried not to read reviews uh, and still do i um i was aware that it, you know it wasn't one of the big hits um, that people found it possibly needed a few snips <laughs> tidied up and make it a bit more of a um, you know short show is a good show kind of situation so it is a it's a long show and it can feel even longer if it's not um, handled the way it maybe could be handled these days there's a great deal of a great deal of psychology involved with being a performer, isn't there? Oh, I mean, just just yeah. you know, the, the voices which appear on your shoulder and, mm. and, and whisper bullshit into your head. Mm-hmm. You mm. constantly it takes a great deal of strength, doesn't it, mm. to sort of really acknowledge what you are capable of mm. and, and, and how people see you and mm. and, and and just I, I guess believe in yourself. Yeah, I've had major demons in terms of how to uh, yeah in. in self-sabotaging stuff you know (laughs) um uh, and just a a sort of consistent lack of confidence and wherever that stems from um i think good performers have to be own their vulnerability Mm. i think and in being vulnerable Mm. you are open to yeah that self-sabotage perhaps yeah and i'm also aware of that that sometimes it's really useful um and that it is that um yeah that vulnerability or 
uh, that nervousness or that whatever it manifests as um, can sometimes be your best friend in, in terms of the role you're playing or um, or just your connection with an audience that it feels human you know that it's that it's not supremely polished that it's that it I, I, I don't think I've ever really I think I've admired performers who are you know showmen and show women and on and off the stage or <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 for sure um, but you I use that term in, in, in describing people that have this sort of this uh, ability to just be to just totally um, command the stage com- or take the stage. Uh, yeah, it's it's more than that. I'm finding it difficult to find the words, but um, but they seem to not have any issue with <laughs> um, with just being able to captivate people and just turn it on, and um, no matter what the audience size no matter what the location no matter i don't know i just they're probably admi- they're probably older performers too i guess who yeah, have I guess had so. yeah. they've quite likely gone through what we're talking about now mm. or whatever and mm. have finally come to um, a way of dealing with it and i think it's a style thing too that maybe when i was younger i thought that's what i could be part of me probably thought that's what I should be I should be able to do that but there's so many different types of performers and I've learned about myself that you know you don't have to be at all you you know you you, there are certain roles there are certain shows that come along and it's like I know that's not for me and whereas once upon a time 10-15 years ago you just go for everything you expect of yourself to be able to do it all because especially in this country I too I, I think that Australia because there's there's fewer jobs here so you think well I've got to go for it because otherwise it's you know I'm, I'm going to be folding clothes or I'm going to be you know serving coffees or you know so um, have had I found it difficult to just have a, a an inbuilt confidence and I have to really turn it on and you know have stern words with myself sometimes <laughs> For you be so easy to love, so easy to idolize all others above, so sweet to awaken with, so nice to sit down to eggs and bacon with. So grand at the game, so carefree together, that it does seem a shame that you can't see your future with me, cause you'd be also Raoul in uh, the 21st anniversary production of Phantom of the Opera. That mm. must have been a... Uh, a high point of of the career so far. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, the way that happened was just unbelievable. Um, I I was doing Sideshow Alley, a new Australian musical that Gary Young and Paul Keelan wrote and won Helpman Awards for the score and all that sort of stuff. Um, so you weren't living in London. You were you were still in Australia. I was. Well, I'm sort of going yeah, back yeah. one step before yeah. it because. I was doing that production and we had a national tour planned, um, which didn't eventuate. And 
um, I went back to Melbourne um, devastated um, uh, because I'd previous to that had an opportunity to potentially be a part of Miss Saigon um, and um, went into Saichu Alley um, and sort of closed the door on that possibility um, because Saichu Alley was a, an amazing role. It was just an incredible role that I had a really strong affinity with. And But I guess you'd been through the audition process for Miss Saigon though. Yes. Yeah. And I was, I'd just been doing Robert Sturrock's full-time dance course and I, I can say that I nailed that dance audition because it's the, it sort of feels like the only time that I can say that, that I really, I was at the absolute peak of my dance training and ability and into pushing myself. I was studying it full time and I just, I nailed it and did, you know, that amazing cakewalk mixed with, mixed with that, um, the, you know, the, all the other styles of dance in there. And I just felt so great when I came out and then Lynn Ruthven came out and said, um, I know you've said that you don't want to be considered for Chris, but Guy would really love for you to come back in and have a go at it. And I said, ah, okay. I think I was, you know, the endorphins were running and yeah, yeah. I went back in and, and long story short, they ended up putting me through to the finals for Chris. And, um, and that door was still open in terms of me being considered for, a, you know, a second or third cover or whatever. Um, when Sideshow Alley came along um, because David Harris took himself out of Sideshow Alley to do Miss Saigon. Um, so I then took the role that David had previously taken, which was lucky for both of us. We both got to do these amazing roles. Mine just didn't get to continue. And then I went to watch Miss Saigon because my friend forgot that we had dinner planned in the city in Melbourne. And, and so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll go see if I can go and get a ticket for Miss Saigon. And um, Richard Fitzgerald, um, who used to look after her madge, was there and said, oh, here, have this ticket. I turned up, you know, 10 minutes before the show started, I think, and it was the second final or final preview. And I went in and watched, and I'm sobbing, sitting up in, you know, first row of the dress circle, best seat in the house, sobbing, thinking, God, my show's just closed. I could have possibly been in this i've just booked this ticket to go to london because i can't you know there's nothing on the horizon um that i'm too excited about here in australia and I'll, okay i'll just go over to london so i'd booked that a couple of weeks before a one-way ticket i came out at interval and my singing teacher gary may was in the foyer and introduced me to john robbo and um john had been up and seen sideshow alley in brisbane where we opened and you know it's very complimentary and um, said, I'll oh, stick around after the show, um, uh, come to the bar and have a drink with us. So I did. And uh, he said, I want to introduce you to someone else. And it turned out to be Cameron McIntosh. Um, and he was there overseeing the final previews before opening, of course. And um, I told him I was going to London in six days. And he, he said, would you, would you be interested in coming in for Marius? We need a, we're looking for a new Marius. In the West End, and I, I said, "Would I?" Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> you know, flashback to me singing along with the double cassette and mm. my lounge room in Horsham, Michael Ball, and all that. And uh, so, yeah, he said, "John, can you organise for Alex t- to see Guy to have a you know a coaching session before he gets on that plane to come over?" And so I hit the ground running. And uh, six weeks after landing in the West End, they offered me a cover, um, which cautionary tale. I couldn't 
accept because it was too close to the start of rehearsals and I didn't actually have my visa. Right. <laughs> wow. So I, um, I uh, declined, but I also, you know, call it what you will, but I, I, I didn't really want to accept a cover because I just started playing leads in Australia yep. and I was ambitious and so it suited me to say no um, in lots of ways, but I was obviously very profusely apologetic um, because it just felt almost ridiculous to be saying no to, you know, just landing in the West End and being offered a show in, you know, the Cameron Mackintosh show of my dreams. Um, still want to do Blame Is desperately. Uh, said no, but it all turned out because I came home, very quickly got my visa, landed, I was sitting in an internet cafe back in the day, um, took a photo of myself with my visa and my big suitcase. I'm back in the country, sent it to Trevor Jackson, casting person at um, Cam Mac at the time and uh, said, I'm back. If there's anything that comes up, here I am ready to go. And within a matter of weeks, I'd um, secure the, land, the role of Rao. So that's a very no, <laughs> I love winded it. I story. Love it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it just shows you this business is about happy accidents and right yeah. place at the right yeah. time. And yeah. you know, I mean, if your friend had turned up for dinner that night, I know, Sarah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You may not be telling that story. Exactly, I probably wouldn't. It would have, I would have taken it the long way around. No more talk of darkness. Forget these wide-eyed fears. I'm here, nothing can harm you. My words will warm and calm you. Let me be your freedom. Let daylight dry your tears I'm here with you, beside you To guard you and to guide you So was there an opportunity to stay on in London or, or why did you come back to Australia? Uh, it was... It was uh, well, the flip side is this was a, the unfortunate part of the story for me is that um, I was not even halfway through my contract on Phantom and... We were coming back from hanging out one Sunday afternoon because Sunday's the day off in London, um, which I loved. Um, and I was hanging out with some Australian friends and um, my friend Leon said, oh, so, hey, mate, because he worked in the finance industry and obviously knew what was going on at the time. And he said, hey, it was February, start of February. And he said, uh, mate, are you, what are you planning on doing? Are you going to stay? And I said, oh, I don't know. I'm sort of, I was planning on thinking about that in a few months closer to the end of my contract. My contract was due to be up in August, I think it was. Um, and he said, well, you better kind of make a decision because there's this stuff going down with the financial market globally, which turned out to be the, the GFC. Yeah. Um, and the border immigration are, are closing the applications to visas at the end of this month, which was a couple of weeks away. So I got on the phone to my to mum and said, I need all those documents to, to apply for the skilled migrant visa. Yep. Um, some of which were down in Melbourne and down in Ocean Grove and, you know, on the other side of the state. And I remember mum literally drove in the middle of the night to, to find um, those, my um, graduation certificate from yep. WAPA to prove that I had a degree to, um, to put in the post to me, express airmail get it to me so that I could pull all these, this paperwork together and potentially put in this application, which I hadn't really decided whether I wanted to go for and then ended up not doing because I just felt pressured into it and I thought it'll sort itself out. I'm, you know, I, 
I'm sure I can go home and I'll, I'll figure it out later. And uh, I kind of kicked myself because I haven't been able to get back into London ever since. Wow. Yeah. And so I came home uh, 36 hours after the curtain came down, my f- final show in Phantom, and I was on a flight to come home to do a show. I did MAME with the production company, and that was great. Um, and then everything that's happened since then has been great. But I but I do, I, I've always wanted to go back, and, and the the visa thing has been tricky because I don't have ancestry and and um, sponsorships uh, you know next to impossible these days right. and um, and yeah the, the visa situation is really tricky yeah well perhaps you need to look further afield maybe you need mm. to look at other countries well or yeah there's that too yeah I, I'm, I'm just as keen to go to New York so excellent, excellent. <laughs> yeah. so what, what would you has been your go-to song for auditions oh wow um, you have a favourite song that you like to do? I don't have one. I have, I have a few. Depending uh, on the uh, all yeah. in different styles, I yeah, guess. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, depending d- on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm a ballad boy. Yeah, I love a big, you know. Is there a composer that you like to sing? I love Sondheim. Yeah, and I still am waiting to do a Sondheim show. Sondheim. Oh, yeah, well, you've done Pacific Overtures. Yeah. Is, I think is that the only one I've done? I feel like it is. Um, shortly, shortly I'd remember. Um, I mean, I yeah, I've sung so much sometime, but I'm still yeah yet to do a production. Um, I love Bernstein. Um, uh, Jason Robert Brown. I love. Uh, I love John Bikino. Um, uh, I love um, Tom Kitt. Um, a lot of contemporary. Yeah, there's there's a whole yeah. mix there. Yeah, yeah. Superstitious? Do you have an opening night ritual? I you have a, f- a favourite rabbit's foot, or <laughs> do you walk around have... the dressing room no, six times? No, actually, I I always remember Sean Rennie having very specific superstitious things that he had a really strong ritual of. You know, you've got to, um, you've got to um, touch that person's elbow. You know, when you come off. <laughs> from that scene and, and you've got to say that word that like That's and you know, there's lots of people that are, um that have those sorts of little things that they they do i don't i try not to lock into those because yeah i just don't want to feel too um at, too sort of beholden to them you know um and I, because i think because the I, very I, thing about theater that's magic is the, the the possibility of it being a bit different each night and I think if you sort of subscribe to that the thing and there's all different reasons and why people do it and if you forget to do, do it, something one me, night it can throw your performance I guess if you think yeah, oh my god I haven't yeah, I haven't yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't wanna, that rose I, and I think it's a choice I, I think it's a you know you can choose to sort of <laughs> um, curse or bless yourself with it and I just choose not to do that yeah um, in those periods of unemployment which I guess you know, all performers experience. Do you go through phases of questioning what you're doing and how mm. long can I do this? And, <laughs> and should I be looking at something else? It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think I've ever met a performer that doesn't. And as I said, like I've always been ambitious and I've always been clear about kind of goals and dreams and where I'm heading. But even so, there there's huge periods of, of what am I doing? <laughs> or is that going to happen, you know, um, or why don't I just try that, you know, and go and do something else. And I've tried other little things, um, especially over the last few years, 
the more I try to do other things, the more I just bounce straight back. It's yep. like this super fast ricochet and I'm right back at square one, you know, and very happily owning that sense of, no, it's actually, this is what I love. And, and more than anything, the older I get, it's the community that I love and the sense of belonging and a place and, you know, part of, part of a team. And sometimes that team feels huge because, you know, you rock into some rehearsals and, you know, that person from there and that person from, from there and you've heard that person's name but you haven't actually met them yet. And, you know, it's just this beautiful fraternity. It's it's so special. Mm. Uh, long runs. You've done a couple, I guess. How do you manage... Yeah, not as many as... That you would like to. Well, just not as well, many as some of my friends and, yeah. and peers. Um, for whatever reason... Um, some of the shows that I've done. But I'm just curious about that repetition every night. You know, mm. at 8:30 mm. every night, you're passing that actor mm. as you exit the stage to sort of change costume to come back mm. on again. Yeah, that could play with your head, surely. Yeah, I, um, I think, I, th- I don't know when, but I've, I've definitely made peace with that whole process of, of the repetition and needing to, needing. Or just trusting that it does, by the very nature of a life itself, get filled with something else every time you do it. Because uh, because there's just an organic process of how things play out backstage and you take that on stage with you and, and you take whatever's happening in your life, um, you know, and you turn it into something to make it work for the piece. And, you know, there's just that, that's what it's all about, of making it exist for the first time because <laughs> it does exist for the first time <laughs> for that well, very that moment 2000 in the audience yeah. yeah um and i've always i remembered actually phantom was amazing for for that lesson to really really seep deep down into me that i i was so aware of the fact that people are spending a lot of money to come along for this special occasion um and and I just, I remember really kind of, you know, meditating on it, that that of trying to connect with that sense of, of them experiencing it for the first time. Um, and I've carried it always. Yeah. yeah. You're a great advocate for um, increased awareness of mental health issues mm. in the um, performing arts industry. Yeah. Um, it's something which a, a lot of performers deal with regularly. I mean, you know, due to the amount of rejection which can exist mm. in careers, mm. um, uh, the, the facilities that people have to work in, mm. uh, the payment, mm. uh, yeah. There's just good. so many reasons why people, you know, have periods of struggle. And sometimes those periods are short, sometimes they're long, sometimes it goes away and comes back. It's just, you know, there's, yeah, like you say, it's it's um, it can be, you know, money troubles. It can be the the nature of work in this country means that you have to travel and how that impacts your your relationships or your friendships or your family life or um you know for people with kids that it puts a strain on on how they negotiate raising their kids like and i just you know i don't have kids yet but i but you know having a partner it is tricky enough in terms of negotiating a tour and, and making that work and trying well, yeah, a partner who understands what all yeah. of that entails. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how great your partner is. And my partner, Tom is amazing. He, you know, we, we sort of try to have a, a rule of not, um, going for 
longer than two weeks if possible on when I'm touring um, and it's it's pretty much worked so far and it's been great um, but it's tricky to make that work you know logistically financially and you're it's a shift a, worker a you're doing commitment. you know you're out every night performing and yep. yeah um, but then the, the other side of that is it's a great joy like you know f- to to have these experiences of, of traveling around the country and and um, you know going to see for him going to see the show in different theaters and um, and being a part of that touring family and um, those sorts of things but yeah there's there's so many challenges that people in other walks of life um, aren't expected to understand and and will never necessarily um, that we we always have to remember we choose um, I guess um, because we can always go and do something else although often it doesn't feel like you you're choosing it because for me I often feel like this chose me like I don't I just don't have another choice this like I said I've, I've tried to go and do other things and so yeah it's it's tricky it's complex and then there's those things of sometimes there's certain roles that you take on and and how hard as you try the role impacts you in your life and and whether it's just because of the very nature of that role or because of the way it marries with things that are happening in your life at the time and it just has this sort of poignant impact on you or whatever it is. So there's just so many complexities to it. Well, the boy from Horsham must be very delighted by, you know, quotes like this from The Age, that Alex Rathgaber is the kind of leading man they don't mint anymore. Handsome (laughs) and fleet-footed, easily the most impressive vocalist with a strong upper register that vaults towards high notes. And we've heard some of that through this conversation today with um, from your album Easy to Love. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, must, any more CDs? Do you think I'd, I'd love CDs, to. albums? Yeah, yeah, um, I know. Recordings CDs. coming up. Yeah. Although I do have the hard copy, um, I'd love to. Yeah, I've I'd, I'd love to do a Christmas album. Yeah, why yeah. not? I'd love to beat do, Michael Bublé. I'd, I'd love to do a crooning album. Yeah, um, and and show. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I've lo- I've admired all those singers over the years you know people like Mel Torme and Tony Bennett and um, Sammy Davis Jr is like yeah they're just unbelievable voices Um, so yeah there's definitely something in that area down the track I remember doing um, one of the workshops for Dream Lover and just the thrill of I played Bobby Darren for for two weeks at that workshop and it was just it was that repertoire that crooning repertoire yeah. yeah yeah So, yeah, there's something else down the track, I'm sure. Sure, (laughs) Hopefully sooner than later. Well, long may you grace our stages, Mr. Rathgaber. Um, It's been a delight to chat to you today. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. And can I just say, it's just a wealth of of joy listening to all of these and, and what you're adding to our industry and you know to all of us personally it, it's it's an amazing kind of catalogue that you're building and so thank you that was my conversation with Alex Rathgaber a lovely bloke and one of the theatre's true gentlemen great to hear what he had to say eh? well series three of stages is off and running thanks for tuning in to this podcast many more great conversations heading your way throughout the year I promise catch you next time on stages Ruthless Boulevard, destination for the stony-hearted. Sunset Boulevard, lethal Boulevard. Everyone's forgotten how they started here on Sunset Boulevard.